you for listening to Sozo Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information on Sozo Church, visit sozospokane.com. Sozo Church. Uh, we are in a series in the Gospel of John called "That We That You Might Believe." That you may believe. Uh, we've been studying through this. Today we hit a milestone. Come on, somebody. We get into chapter nine. After 27 years, we are in chapter nine. Um, been going through this for a while. We are excited about this. Um, and we get to get into to something. And this week, I want to sort of just just barely dip our toe into this chapter. We will be here for a good while, but uh, in, in this chapter. But but this week, I want to just sort of just barely begin. And and with that, I want to just say we're we're going to have to sort of address something this morning that I, I think is good for us to address in this season. And that is a theology of suffering. A theology of suffering. Uh, now, let me be super clear what we mean by. Theology of suffering. And, and, and let me pause before I even get there and say that I would much rather have this kind of conversation with you over a beverage of your choice. I would rather have this pastorally, just one-on-one, sort of sit down and be able to sort of nuance and walk through this and, and sort of uh, uh, take the necessary you know, time and answer questions and back and forth. But since that's not the, the setting that we are in today, uh, we're going to have to just do our best uh, in, in this sort of environment. So theology of suffering. What do we mean by a theology of suffering? First off, we need to define theology. Theology is not just a way of thinking. Theology is the study or thought process or doctrines about God. So when we say a theology of suffering, what we mean is a thinking or a system of beliefs about God, and from that, our understanding of creation, reality, and even life. You jiving with me this morning? So, so we, need to, we need to have an understanding. When I, say, when I say we need a theology of suffering, what I mean is that we need a framework in the way that we think about God in the midst of the difficult seasons and situations in our life. We, we need this. And we need a framework to think about the suffering that, that is shaped by our broader understanding of who God is. These things have to work together. And this often leads us into a discussion about apologetics. Everybody say apologetics. 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 Big $6 words this morning. These are fancy. Um, apologetics, let's define some terms because Christians like to leave terms undefined so we don't have to be accountable for them. Um, apologetics. Apologetics is the reasoned arguments in justification of something, typically a theory or religious doctrine. So apologetics, some people define it simply as uh, a defense of the faith. Apologetics can be a defense of the faith. I want to read something here so that I make sure I get this right and I clearly communicate because we're wading into some weird waters. Let me be clear right off the bat. I am not an apologist. Hi, my name is Mark and I'm not an apologist. Um, That's another meeting I go to. Um, nor, Nor do I spend a whole lot of time, to be totally honest with you, studying apologetics. Nor do I enjoy getting into apologetical arguments with people. The reason for this, though, is not because I don't think that there's a reasonable argument to be made for our faith, but rather because I find, please hear me, that winning an argument with an unbeliever doesn't tend to lead to them coming to faith. 
Typically, the best way to lead somebody to Christ is to introduce them to Christ, not to get in an argument with them about how many days God created the world. Christians tend to enjoy apologetics, please hear me, because it answers questions that we have, not so much for the unbeliever. I've, I've rarely, in a season of my life, in a past season of my life, I really got into apologetics. There's, it helped me understand that there was reasonable, uh, well-thought-out uh, answers to the questions that even I had before I came to faith. And so I got very engaged in this sort of study for a season of my life. And in that season, I enjoyed getting into these arguments with people because, please hear me, I won all the time. But in winning the argument, I very rarely, truth, never won their soul. I just felt better walking away knowing that I embarrassed them because I had a well-thought-out argument and I sprung it on them and they didn't have an answer for it. Now, I think, I think that, like I said, I think apologetics can help believers. Oftentimes, we, we watch these sort of videos online and we read these books because the truth is, please hear me, I love you. Let me pass you for a second. You have those questions in your own heart, but you don't think you're allowed to ask God those questions, so you make an unbeliever ask those questions and then you just eavesdrop in on the answer. This probably comes from the fact that we have a misunderstanding fundamentally of what it means to believe. We think to believe means to agree with or to accept or to, to go along with. When we've seen already, biblically, believe means to entrust and embrace Jesus, to entrust our life to Jesus and to embrace Jesus. It, it, it's okay, come on, if you've still got questions and struggles. So as we walk through this idea of, of a theology of suffering, we need to realize we're gonna bump into some of these apologetical arguments. And the big one that we're gonna deal with is is, is, is why do good things happen to bad people? No, why do bad things happen to good people? Nobody asks why do, why do good things happen to bad, why, why do bad things happen to good people? This is the typical, come on, re rejected, uh, sort of knee-jerk, if there's a God, then why do bad things happen to good people? Goes something like this. Tell me if you've, if you've ever thought this or heard this. If there is an all-powerful, all-good God, why do bad things happen? to good people. Since we know bad things happen to good people, therefore God is either not all good or he's not all powerful. Heard this one before? So let me just unpack this real fast before we get to our text this morning just so that we can kind of avoid all this in the text. The first question that we need to understand when somebody comes with that sort of argument, if that argument's in your heart, if that, if that sort of uh, struggle is in your heart, here's a good question to ask that question. By what standard? By what standard do you judge good and bad, right and wrong? The reality is without an external source of morality, such as God, we can have no true sense of right and wrong, good and evil. All we can really have is what I like and what I don't like. I like not being in pain. I don't like being in pain. I like it when people treat me well. I don't like it when they're duty heads. All I have is my personal preference. It's the reality that God exists. A God is required for objective morals. And that God, the only God that is consistent and constant, and please hear me, complex enough to answer the real question of suffering in life is the God found in, hello, the Bible. It's the only God. Further, I just have to go here because I have to. People say, why do good things happen to bad people? I love what R.C. Sproul Jr. said to this. 
So people say, why do bad things happen to good people? The reality is that only ever happened once and he volunteered. Truth is, if we understand goodness from a biblical perspective, there's only ever been one good person. His name was Jesus. And a very bad, very horrible, awful, the most suffering anyone has ever experienced in all of existence was experienced by the only good person to ever exist. And he volunteered for it. We've got to have this understanding. We need a God to even have a framework for morality. And, and, and inside of that, we need to understand that that God is the only source in, of objective good, and he volunteered to suffer on our behalf. Amen? All right, so let's jump into our text. John chapter 9. Oh, real fast, because I know I'm going to get asked this after service, so I'm just going to get it out of the way now. Um, if you are interested in sort of diving into and studying uh, apologetics more thoroughly, here are four people I would recommend uh, you looking into. If you'd like to read the top two, Ravi Zacharias, he just recently went to be with the Lord, and uh, uh, C.S. Lewis, amazing, fantastic apologist that you can read their writings. Uh, Ravi does have videos on YouTube, uh, but the two guys in the bottom are mostly, if you're a YouTuber, uh, there's more things than just cats playing music on YouTube. Who knew? Um, Jeff Durbin and his uh, channel, I believe it's called Apologia Studios, does a great job of sort of diving into uh, uh, modern culture, modern uh, um, sort of rejection of the gospel. Uh, Frank Turek also does a good job more from the logical perspective, but does it fantastically there as well. Okay, now get to the Bible. Get to the Bible. Get to the Bible. I can hear you saying it. John chapter 9, verse 1. John chapter 9, verse 1. Uh, we're going to read through verse 7. If you've got a Bible, if you've got a phone, let's go ahead and get there and let's stand to our feet for the reading of God's word. If you're at home, stand up too. It'll make it more fun. John chapter 9, verse 1. We're just going to read the first seven verses. This is an amazing story, an amazing account uh, in this gospel. It's, it's fantastic. We will be here for a long time. Uh, but for now, let's just get through the first seven verses. As he passed by, who is he? Jesus. Jesus. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. Don't miss that sentence. That's where we're going to live for most of this morning is that one verse, that one sentence. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with his well, made mud with saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud. And he said to him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back. Come on, seeing. Let's pray together this morning, church. Holy Spirit, thank you. God, thank you for your living and active word. Lord, thank you in the midst of, of so much uncertainty. Thank you in the midst of so much turmoil. Thank you in the midst of so much uh, uh, just, just up and down, and we don't know which way is up and down sometimes. We don't know which way we are traveling, which way we are going, what's coming next. God, I thank you that even in the midst of all of that, you remain steadfast and true. Lord, that you never change. 
that you never waver, that you never wander, that you never alter in your course or in your ways or in your nature. So for that, Lord, we rejoice in this moment and we thank you. And Lord, now we come to you in that, in that awareness, in the awareness knowing that you are good and you never change. God, we come to you and we ask that you would do this amazing thing that you do when we ask that, God, you would give us ears to hear your voice speaking to our hearts. Lord, that you would break through all the noise, that you would break through all the distraction, that you would break through all of the chaos and the confusion, and that your word would come directly into our lives, into our hearts, into our understanding, that it would, it would go deep within us, causing us to be transformed. God, not just, not just on an external level, not just teaching us how to behave different. God, we are not interested. We say boldly and openly, we are not interested in behavior modifications. We are not interested in simply being better versions of ourselves. We came here, Lord, to be transformed, to look more like you, to walk as the sons of God that you have called us and created us to be. And so we ask that your word would do that work in us and through us this day for your glory and the good of all people. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Go ahead and greet someone however you feel comfortable, high five, elbow bump, or just wave from a distance and awkwardly sit down. Awesome, we got a lot of ground to cover this morning, so I'm gonna just go ahead and jump in. And uh, if you're taking notes, I hope you are. We are talking under the title, Seen in Blindness. Seen in Blindness. I, I want us to, to, to look at this text this morning and, and really take just our, our first little pass over it and just try to look at this and see what exactly we can glean, how it is that this passage uh, can help shape how we think about God and suffering. Wants to take some time and 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 ask how, how can this pass? How can this this little encounter that Jesus and his disciples have with this blind man, a man born blind? So he's a, he's a man. We, we don't know a lot about him at this point in the story. We we learn more about him uh, later. I'm going to tell you. Just I'm going to let the cat out of the bag. This dude is on my list of people to find in heaven and chest bump because this dude is awesome because he speaks my love language, sarcasm. He's fantastic. I really, really like him. I have a feeling you will too. So uh, this morning, we're just gonna barely kind of get introduced to him, but he's born blind. Uh, we know in that culture to be called a man, he must be at least 13 years old. There's evidence he's probably a little bit older even than that. Um, so so this, this, is, this is a guy born blind. What can we learn about God and what can we learn about suffering from this passage? First, we can learn that suffering blinds us. Suffering blinds us. Maybe, maybe I can put that a better way or a more clear, more pointed way. Suffering stops us from seeing Jesus. Suffering often causes us to, to not be aware of what is going on around us. Pain, come on, disappointment, loss, this all leads to, to, to what, what I call a, a lowering of our sight. You ever notice this in your own life? The, 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 the more difficult the situation, the more frustrating the circumstance, the more pain you're going through, the more, the more limited you feel your options are, the more you start looking closer and closer to right now. 
When everything's going great in your life, that's when you're thinking about having kids and buying a house and where do I want to be in five years or 10 years. By the way, anybody else have an interview in 2015 and asked what, where do you think you're going to be in five years and totally fail that test? <laughs> Where's your prophetic gift then? I think I'm going to be in the middle of a global pandemic. I don't think anybody said that. It's, it's in good seasons. It's in good times when we, when we think far out and, we, and we, we try to stretch out our thinking and we dream and we, and we let ourselves sort of make plans. But the more pain we're in, the more frustrating our situation, the more struggle that we are, we are currently facing, we start to lower our expectations. We start to think, if I can just get through this week, if I can just get through the next few days, if I can just get through today, if I can just get through now, if I can just get through this moment, this second, this microsecond, and we stop thinking, we stop dreaming, we start staring at the floor. We don't think big picture anymore. We don't think about next. We don't think about planning. We just think about right now. How do I make it through right now? And this lowered, limited, come on, lost vision can cause us to doubt, please hear me, the goodness of God. Because all we can see... I know this, this might seem uh, a little bit uh, like, a, like a, yeah, sure sort of statement, but track with me. If all we're looking at is right now, all we can see is right now. We don't see past this moment. We don't see, certainly we don't see into any eternal purpose at all. All we can think about is this hurts. I was going to say this sucks, but that's going to offend somebody. This hurts. I don't want to be here. I don't, want to, I don't want to be in this situation. And so that suffering can actually blind us, come on, to the character and the nature of God. It can cause us to doubt his goodness, doubt his ability, or even his willingness, come on, to deliver us from the situation. This man must have struggled with this. Why, have, why am I born this way? Is he even interested? Is God even interested in my well-being? Thankfully, that the text discusses this. It, it points this out, and it shows us an amazing, beautiful truth. I'm going to tell you, if you get nothing else from this morning, get this right here. Jesus sees you in your pain. Can we just stop for a moment and remember what, what we just came out of in John chapter 8? They literally, it, it, just like half a verse prior to this, we find out that the people in this town are, are actively, the leadership, the, those in influence and authority in the city are actively trying to kill Jesus. And yet even in, in, in that, that environment, even in that circumstance, while Jesus is, it says in verse, verse 59 of chapter 8 that he hides himself and gets away. And yet even in his hiding, come on, he sees this man. He sees him. He sees this man. He, he, this speaks, though, I want to make sure I'm clear on this. This speaks of the goodness, come on, of our God. How good is our God that even in, in, in the midst of our pain, he sees us. You are seen, come on, not just by someone. You are seen by the one. The one that is the one the one that is before everything and above everything and beyond everything, you are seen by him. And when we say seen, we, we don't just mean that he, he, he has visually confirmed your existence. 
How many of you know that an omnipotent, an, all, an, an, an all-knowing, all-powerful God knew that you existed? That, that's not a stretch of the imagination. But rather, what we see here is, is, is the word in Greek for see is ida. Ida. I know you can all read that, so that's why I put it up there. Here's what it means. It's a few little pieces of what it means. It means ultimately to see and to know. It means to perceive by any of the senses, to look at, catch this, to behold the force and meaning of something which has definite meaning, to have regard for one, to cherish, to pay attention to. That's how good our God is. In the midst of our suffering, he pays attention to us. Jesus didn't just observe this man with his sight. He, come on, he saw him personally, intimately, passionately. He looked upon this man. He sees you in your suffering. Jesus seeks this man out. Jesus seeks us even when we do not seek him. Notice this man did not go looking for Jesus. I know that's, I didn't mean that rudely. He's blind. He can't go looking for anything. He, he, he didn't, he, he was not seeking out Jesus. He was not looking for Jesus. No, no, Jesus came looking for him. Jesus seeks us out even when we are not looking for him. This is, I'm gonna keep saying it, the goodness of our God. He sees. I say it because, because, because pain and suffering lies to us constantly and says he doesn't. But he does. He sees us in the midst of our difficulty, in the midst of our circumstances. He sees us. How many times has God sovereignly stepped into your story, to my story, and I never even noticed it? Take a breath. That's a gift. You're still here because of his goodness. You're, you're here right now. Do you think you're here by accident? You, I love it. You think you're here by choice. He brought you here to this very moment in his goodness. Now, we need to understand, I think we miss a little bit of this because we, we, we are not, as far as I know, no one here grew up in first century Palestine. Okay, I was correct. No, nobody grew up in this culture. We, we need to understand, we're going we're to dive in a lot in the, few, in the next coming weeks about uh, the culture of blindness and the, and the ideas and the thought processes and the way this man must have had to live. But, but for now, for just in this moment, I need us to get that in this culture, the, 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 the really the, 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 the big dream if you were blind would be that somebody might give you something. You, you were begging. You were left to fend for yourself. You had no ability, really, uh, unless your family was very well off to really have any kind of normal life. So he, this man most likely was a beggar. He was begging. His greatest dream was that maybe somebody would give him a little something so that he might be able to provide for himself. But his real hope, let's be real, his hope was probably just to be ignored, that people would just sort of pass by and, and, and just, just leave him in his misery, leave him in his struggle. 
That was his hope. That was his dream. But, but, but the reality was he was most often belittled and disregarded because of a theology that permeated that day that blamed suffering on the person. We see this in the disciples, do we not? Was it, was it his sin or was his parents' sin? What is it that caused this suffering? This view meant that not only when you suffered, were you bearing the weight of your own suffering, but then you also had the weight of, of having to try to figure out what did you do to deserve this suffering? What sort of mistake, what sort of error did you, did you cause to, to, to sort of come under this thing? So clearly you, you must deserve it was the thought at the time. Which leads us into to, to addressing Jesus's answer to their question. Because here's what I want us to understand. Have you ever read the Gospels and wondered if Jesus had a hearing problem? Because often, come on, Jesus, people ask Jesus a question or make a statement to Jesus, and he says something like totally opposite. We're going to get into this, but there, there's a part later in John where, where, where guys come to talk to Jesus, and the disciples are like, hey, these guys came, and they want to ask you a question. And Jesus answers with, unless a grain falls to the ground and dies, it abides alone. It's like, what do Okay, what do we tell the dudes that are waiting for you? That's all we came here to ask. This is kind of one of those situations where they seem to ask one question and Jesus seems to not answer the question. And what we have to realize is the difference between cause and reason. See, why Jesus seems to not, not answer the question that people are asking is because Jesus is always, come on, always trying to elevate our understanding. Jesus is always trying to lift up our understanding of what's going on. These guys are after the cause, and Jesus is trying to teach them the reason. Because the reason, hear me, is far more important than the cause. Let me, let me try, to, try to unpack this. The, the cause asks, what is the thing that made this man blind? Was it his sin or his parents' sin? By the way, I just have to throw this in there. Parents literally means fathers. That's what the word in, in Greek really means. It, was it him or was it his, his dad or his grandpa's sin? It came from an understanding of the way that the, the sin of Adam pours down through human existence. Is, is, it his, is it his fault or is it his parents' fault? There was also a subtle belief at this time, I was reading in some commentaries, that believed that because, because you could think in the womb, you could sin in the womb and therefore be born blind. How jacked up is that theology? But the reason... The reason says, what is the purpose behind the pain? You see, the, the, the cause can only answer the question of, of what, what is it that made this thing happen? But Jesus is elevating his answer beyond their question. Because to know the cause doesn't give us any real answer. And the truth is, and this, this is somewhat of why I believe apologetics isn't the best way to lead people to faith, because that, that's ultimately not really the question that we wrestle with, is the cause. The reason is we want to know, the, 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 the question we wrestle with is the reason. Why did this happen? Not how did it happen, but why? Why did this take place? So Jesus pushes past the cultural blindness even of his own disciples to help this suffering man. So let's look at Jesus' answer. He says it's not because he sinned or because of his parents' sin, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So let's be clear. Sin is not the reason for all suffering. Now, we're gonna, this, is, this is where I wish we were just having a drink together. 
So we can sort of, sort, of, sort of nuance this here a little bit. Sin is not the cause of all suffering, or is not the reason for all suffering, yet sin is the cause for all suffering. Tracking? It's how it happened. It's not why it happened. And this is why, I love you, this is why when Christians, especially in certain camps that want to focus on the truth that all the cause of all suffering is sin, when we, when we spout that back to people in the midst of suffering, we come across like meanie heads. Because that's, <laughs> that's not really the question that's being asked, even when it's the question being asked. It's not the answer that's being sought, it's, it's the cause. What people are after is the why, the reason. So let's be clear. We live in a fallen world in which sin has corrupted God's good creation. And suffering is then a byproduct of that. Yes, there is the truth of spiritual and practical sowing and reaping. You stub your toe. Why does my toe hurt? Because you stubbed your toe, sowing, reaping. This is not like rocket surgery, okay? This, 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 this is, there, there's, there is this reality of, of sowing and reaping, and yet there is more than just this one layer that's needed to have a, a strong enough, come on, theology of suffering to be able to engage in this sort of situation, be it in somebody else's life or in your own. Sin is not the reason for all suffering. The way I see this is Jesus is answering their, their question. He, Jesus is playing chess when they're playing checkers. Right? Like they don't even know what's really going on. Jesus elevates his disciples' limited understanding of what's going on. They were trying to figure out who to blame. They were trying to figure out who, who can we lay the responsibility for this guy's suffering on. Jesus, on the other hand, was trying to show them the bigger picture. Now, Jesus is not saying that sin played no role in this guy's blindness. That he, he doesn't say that. What he's saying is that's not the reason why he's blind. The reason why, why things are broken, the reason why things are, are busted, the reason why things are, are not the way they ought to be is because it is an opportunity, he says, for something greater to take place, which leads nicely to the next thing we see in this text, which is Jesus has a purpose in your pain. That's a good place for Christians to say amen, amen. even if it hurts. <laughs> Jesus, come on, has a purpose in your pain. Your suffering, come on somebody, is not meaningless. There is a purpose in the midst of your pain. God did not subject you to suffering for no reason at all. It's not, well, the world is just broken and everything just sort of sucks and so we just have to sort of live with this. No, rather, come on somebody, God has a purpose. Jesus has a personal purpose in the midst of your pain. That's good. I don't know how much you've suffered in your life. I don't know how much chronic pain you've had to go through. I don't know how much disappointment you've had to endure in your life. But that can be one of the most crippling realities to wrestle with is, is just why? Is there even a purpose to this? Why did this have to happen? I don't understand. what. Is there anything beyond this, this moment of pain? And there 
is according to the gospel. You are not being subjected to this difficulty for no reason. It is not just the part of life. Understand that sin is the ultimate cause of this man's blindness, but that doesn't help. The reason is that the character of God ought to be displayed within him, and this circumstance, in this situation, the Son of Man might be revealed so that God might be glorified in a way that would otherwise not have happened. Because of this man's suffering, God's purpose was fulfilled. And what is the purpose for his pain? It's the purpose that God has in everything. His purpose is for the good of all people and the glory of himself. In all things, in every situation, in every circumstance, in all spheres, in all atmospheres, in all times, in all, in all, in all. God is to be glorified and he is working for the good of all. All people, and those things, the joy, the beauty, the power, the majesty of our God is that he can do both of those things simultaneously. He doesn't have to pick. He doesn't have to pick, do I do good for people or do I, or do I glorify myself? No, ultimately, both of these things take place simultaneously. See, the disciples are, are trying to investigate. Jesus is trying to intervene. His purpose it's for the good of this man and the glory of himself. This man, did, did you read with me to, to verse seven? He's healed. The, there is an end to suffering. This man did not suffer indefinitely. Did he suffer for a season? Yes. He's cited much longer than he was blind because he still sees to this day. This is why Paul can say that this light and momentary affliction is not worth being compared to the glory that is being wrought within us through this suffering. This man is healed and Jesus, come on, is revealed because... I, th this hit me this week. I, I don't know. I don't know how I missed this in all the times I've read through this. I'm wrestling with this text. And if I'm going to be transparent with you this morning, I'm wrestling with God. It, so, 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 so Jesus, you say that, that this man was born blind. And the reason for that was so that you, that the works of God might be displayed. So that, so that your character, your nature, your goodness might be put on display. You, you allowed this man to suffer for 13, 14, 15, 20, 25 years. Just so that in a moment you could heal him. I mean, that seems kind of, that doesn't seem fair. That's, that's honestly what came out of my, my heart before the Lord. That doesn't seem fair. We'll have a conversation later about fairness. You don't want fair. I don't want fair. But I'm struggling with this. To be honest, I'm struggling with saying like, Lord, was, was healing him in the latter part of his life, did that really make up for the blindness that he had to struggle through for the early part of his life? It doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem fair. Again, this leads us back to what's the thing I taught us to ask in the beginning? By what standard? Because here's what I realized. 
We go back to understanding why was man created? I know we're getting heavy and deep here, but just track with me. Why were we created? What, what is the purpose of our own existence? To glorify God and to make him known. This man, let's be generous and say that he was in his mid-30s, which is about the life expectancy, 30, 40 years old, of even a person. We know he's probably younger than that because his parents are still alive. But let's just give that. Let's say he was blind. Let's say he went hungry. Let's say he was, he was belittled and spat on and, and mocked and, 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 and just made to, to feel like the lowest of the low in society for 30 years straight. Hear me. It's 2,000 years later, and we're talking about the goodness of our God because of what this man went through. How many of you think he fulfilled his purpose? How many of you think he's still fulfilling his purpose? How many of you think he's in heaven right now arguing with Jesus about why didn't you heal me two weeks earlier? (laughs) See, God has a purpose in the midst of your pain. There's an opportunity in the midst of it, both in the way that you suffer and, yes, in the way that he intervenes for him to be glorified. See, we need to understand, though, that the biggest problem in our lives is our spiritual blindness. Our inability to see Jesus is the problem that faces humanity. I'm going to invite the worship team to go ahead and come back up. We're going to to land this thing. You see, we we need to understand that that we, we... We are born, come on, blind. We are all, like this man, born blind. And only Jesus can heal that. And the way he does that, the way he heals our blindness is through this this, this, this movement that we make of repentance and belief. Repentance is a, is, a, is a big word in the Bible. It's a big word in Christianity. It's often misunderstood. Repentance simply means to admit and abandon our sin. It means to, it means to, 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 to admit that we have rebelled against God, that we have rejected God, that we are, we are ultimately, come on, like we talked about in the beginning, ultimately, 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 we are not actually good people. That can be a really hard thing to admit. But we admit it, and then the Bible tells us to abandon that, abandon that, 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 that facade of a person that we used to have, and then to believe, the scriptures tell us, and believe, already talked about this, means to, means to embrace Jesus and to entrust our life to Jesus. And the scriptures tell us in that moment that we are transferred in an instant from death, come on, to life, from blindness to sight. The scriptures even take it this far. It says that we are enemies of God before that moment, and then we are made a part of the family of God. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet. We're gonna respond, and, 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 and we believe here as a church that as we hear God, as we hear his word, it is right and appropriate for us to respond to his word. So we're gonna do just that. If you're here and, and you would be willing to admit, if you're here or, or streaming online, if you're watching this, hearing this, wherever you are, and you'd be willing to admit that, you know what? You would say, I'm, I'm spiritually blind. I need to have my spiritual eyes open. I need to have my, my sight restored. I would encourage you to just cry out to Jesus. 
I want to encourage you to, 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 to open up your heart to him. Because hear me, Jesus sees you. Regardless of whether you, you're a believer in this moment or not, or you're becoming a believer in this moment, I want you to hear this. Jesus, come on, sees you in your pain. You are seen. Not because of who you are. Come on, not because of who you are, because of who he is. You're seen. Just as we were, as we were preparing to, to kind of have this moment, I was praying over this moment. I really felt like the Lord spoke to me specifically for some people here that there's a grace this morning. Please hear me. There's a grace this morning for lifting up your eyes a little bit. I feel like there's some people, maybe maybe just, come on, maybe just the, the reality of our current world circumstance has got you staring at the floor. You don't know what rule is gonna come out next. You don't know what, what advice is gonna come out next. You don't know what, the, what next week they're gonna tell us the wise thing to do in the way we live our life. We don't know what rules they're gonna give us. We don't know what limitations or freedoms we may or may not have. And so you've just begun to stare at the floor. And I feel like the Holy Spirit wants to lift some heads this morning. Psalm 24, 7 through 10 tells us to lift up our heads that the King of glory may come in. I don't, I, I want to be careful because I don't want to, I don't want to prophesy over anybody. But maybe, maybe the thing that is required, track with me please, the thing that is required for, for a divine intervention in your situation is for you to lift your head. It, it, Psalm 24, you lift your head so the king of glory may come in. Cause, effect. Sowing, reaping. Maybe the reason why you're frustrated, maybe the reason why we're frustrated that God is not moving more freely, more openly, more powerfully, more recognizably in the situation and circumstance that you're struggling in right now is because we have refused, come on, I love you, to lift our eyes up enough to see him. All we're doing is focusing on the situation and the circumstance. And he's saying that might teach you the cause, but it's not gonna show you the reason. Only he can show you the reason. last thing I want to say before we, we move to our response. There is freedom from pain. This man lived every day proving that he was blind and Jesus in an instant proved that he could see. So I want to encourage you, if you're here and you're going through something, if you're struggling, be it physical, be it emotional, be it spiritual, be it psychological, whatever it might be, I would encourage you. We've got a prayer team that would love to pray for you, would love to stand with you, would love to believe God to do the impossible in your life. Before Jesus made this clay, put it on his eyes, and the man washed, it was impossible for him to see. But after that moment, come on, the man came back seeing Impossible things become possible when God intervenes. So if you're here today and you're in that sort of circumstance, I just wanna, I just wanna challenge you to be willing to step out and ask somebody to pray for you. Ask Jesus to step in in a supernatural way and bring freedom to whatever struggle, whatever, whatever barrier is in your life. Lift your heads, come on church.
the King of glory may come in. We're going to respond. We're going to sing. We're going to pray. We're going to seek the Lord. We're going to take communion. If you're a believer, communion is available on the tables around the room. You are invited, welcomed to partake, to participate in that partake as you feel led, as you've you've had time to to, to make your heart right before the Lord and others. But let me pray for us before we respond. Jesus, thank you for your goodness in seeing us in our pain. Jesus, thank you that that you you are not distant or disinterested, but you are you are with us, you are here, you are present. You have promised to never leave us, to never forsake us, but to be with us. And for that, we rejoice in who you are. Lord, I ask that you would, right now in this moment, you would lift up some eyes, that you would lift up the gaze of those here that maybe, maybe have, have, have just been going through so much that all they can see is today. God, would you lift up some eyes this day? Would you lift up some heads so that you might rush into some situations, rush into some circumstances? God, would you bring healing and deliverance to those situations? That, that God, you would not just simply be with us, but that you in your power would visit us. That you might be glorified. And that the world might experience the goodness that comes from knowing you. In Jesus' name, church. Let's respond to the Lord.